Good morning. A few weeks ago, I remember when Ian was standing here, he said, there's no one sitting down the front there. And I jokingly said to him, you'll need to change your aftershave or something. Well, it's my turn this time. So. <laughs> Thanks for those that are sitting close. <laughs> but remember those, uh, those testimonies that were given just now, because we're, we're, the subject today is, is called into God's family. And some of those testimonies actually support that. We, we don't know exactly what's going to be said in a service, but God does. And uh, some of those testimonies support uh, what we're going to be looking at today. When I saw that subject this morning, uh, an old saying came to mind, which I'm sure you'll be able to complete. Uh, We're going to struggle a little bit on PowerPoint today, so I don't think this is working. No, it's not. So Martin's going to have to try and click and and keep in line. But uh, the saying begins, you can choose your friends, but can't choose your family. Yeah, that's the one. Easy. But it's not really meant in a nasty way. Uh, although sometimes, you know, we know there can be tensions in family life, can't there? But that saying doesn't really work in God's family, the church, or at least I hope it doesn't. Because we're called into God's family. It doesn't just happen. We're a people who are chosen, set apart, called to be a family of God, whatever our background or heritage, whether we're rich or poor, old or young, and the passage of scripture that came just before this, Paul was talking to the Ephesians that God's building one church, not separate churches. It didn't depend on their background. There was no first and second class within the church. There wasn't going to be Jew or Gentile or Greek. Christ died for all, and he calls us to build one church. Now, of course, a church is not made of bricks and mortar, is it? It's people. So unlike a building, a church of people is never completely built. It's not a definitive shape because people are being added and some are leaving. Things are happening all the time. But just as important, the people are changing individually as well. They're changing shape as they grow and mature. I'm not talking about middle-aged spread. But spiritually developing, so I'd better move on quickly in case I get in trouble. Let's look at the passage, Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, which is on page 1174, if you've got a church Bible. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. No longer foreigners and strangers. As Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he was reminding the Jews and the Gentiles that they're not separate, they should be together. God has only one church. He was building one people of power, one people of praise. And he goes on to say that we're fellow citizens and members of God's household, that we're family and that God is continuing to build his family, the church. So I've got three quite simple points from the passage this morning. I'm going to concentrate on the middle one because that's the title I was given. But we're citizens of God's kingdom. We're called as members of God's family and we're stones in God's temple. Or put another way, we're an integral part of what God's building. And then... 
I'll finish with a few thoughts about the implications. So what does it mean to be a citizen? There's lots of uh, talk, isn't there, these days in the news and so on about the Brexit vote and the ongoing negotiations about the rights of people living in the UK, what it means to be a citizen of this country. Years ago, I lived in Germany, and I remember I had to register in the resident aliens department. <laughs> I'm only English, I mean, yeah. Anyway, that, that's what you had. It didn't feel very welcoming. I don't know how much, uh, I don't know that much about uh, immigration into this country, but I know it's a lot more difficult these days if you follow legitimate routes than it used to be. As I understand it, for the first few years, you're not allowed to vote. If you leave the country for a certain period in the first years, you may not be allowed to come back and live here. You have to take citizenship tests and so on. But for those who were born here, we don't have to go through those things because we have a right. And with that right of citizenship, we also have responsibilities. A lot of which we probably take for granted. We might sometimes feel our rights are being diminished But whilst we pray for our continued freedom, we should also thank God for the freedoms and the security and the privileges that we do have and continue to pray that God's hand will be on this nation, that we might do greater things for God. But as always, illustrations are limited. Because citizenship in God's kingdom is only possible by by being born into God's kingdom. Not in a natural way, of course, but a supernatural way. It doesn't matter where we're physically born or who our parents are. It matters that we're spiritually reborn. And you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus when he came to him and he asked, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered him, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had the joy of baptising Rebecca and Joyce here in, in the pool, just under here. Now, if it comes up, there's just a general picture there of our baptism, because I didn't ask their permission to use their photos, so I shouldn't. But they gave very different testimonies of their walks with God. And I'll be using part of Joyce's a little bit later. Because when we're born again, the birth might be quick. It might be uh, that we're baptised very soon afterwards. As Ian said a couple of weeks ago, there's no reason to wait. If we wait until we had all the answers, then Ian wouldn't be baptised, and nor would I. By the way, we've got another baptism service coming up on Easter Day as well. All of us are on a journey with God whether we made a decision to accept Jesus into our lives or not. The fact that we're here means that we're on a journey, even if we haven't made a decision yet. And when you look back, you'll realise how God's brought each step together. Those that had made a decision to follow Jesus will, like Joyce and Rebecca, have a testimony to tell of how they became a Christian, how they became a citizen of the kingdom of God. And all testimonies are different. There's no single journey that we all take. Just as you have different backgrounds, we've got different journeys that suit those backgrounds. We don't have to take citizenship tests or to meet certain criteria except one. 
that we do have to accept that Jesus died on the cross for us individually and then put our faith in him that we can be made right with God our Father through his Son. And I say that's all we have to do, and it is, but it's not always that easy because our own wisdom can get in the way. When we're older, we think ourselves to be wiser. We've got responsibilities and we learnt a lot about life already, some of it good and some of it not so good. But we're no different to other generations. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. We're no different to other generations. So to enter the kingdom of God, which is open to all of us, it takes a step of faith. But it's a step that God wants to help us with. And as part of that help that he wants to give us, he's created a church to be a family. Which then brings me nicely onto my second point. We're called into God's family. But yeah, I know church isn't perfect, is it? But although we get things wrong, by God's grace we also get things right. And God's still working in us and through us, both individually and as a church. We don't simply make a decision to be a Christian, be baptised and attend church, maybe on a weekly basis or whenever we can. We just continue, but we must continue on a journey. We hear the term lifelong learning these days quite a lot. It's often banded around as though it's something new, isn't it? But actually, as a follower of Jesus or being a disciple, that requires lifelong learning, otherwise known as perhaps discipleship. And as we grow to be more mature disciples, we're also called to be disciple makers. The trainee becomes the trainer. As I said at the beginning, being called into God's family is the focus of this morning. And I want to remind us of part of Joyce's testimony from a couple of weeks ago. And she has agreed that I can repeat this. She became a Christian at about 17 or 18, but she backslid and let her faith go for much of her adult life. After she retired, she joined a voluntary group, visiting older people and helping them to fill out forms. As part of this, she visited a lady called Mae Brightwell, who told her that she was a Christian and went to our South Green congregation. May invited her along. Then Joyce says in her testimony that May was the only person who'd invited her along to anything since her backsliding days. So that's probably around about 50 years. She went along and in her words, hasn't looked back since. She mentions how Beryl Cook was always getting alongside her, and several others, too many to mention, she says supported and befriended her. And I like the next bit because she adds, and one or two pastors played a part in my growth, speaking the gospel into my heart at just the right time. (coughs) An acknowledgement of the pastor's role, but almost as an aside, because the family of God played a major part and was drawing alongside her. She said that she got helped, uh, helping her growth uh, through Tuesday Bible study with Val Howe, Judith Jackson and Joy Pevers. She grew in leaps and bounds and that the new Christian discipleship group that Joy led 
was a big factor in her Christian growth. But when she said all of that a couple of weeks ago, it hit me that it talks about church family. People inviting, accepting, drawing alongside, teaching, supporting, encouraging. Another part of the jigsaw being added. And the pastors played their bit as well. We don't convert. We don't make decisions for people. But we walk alongside, sharing what we understand and walking together. God calls us to be a part of his family. It's certainly not all down to the pastor, as Joyce bears testimony. And a personal invitation is so powerful. What do we do when we have children? We help them. We nurture them. We care for them. It always surprises me when I watch a documentary about natural history, the young of animals and birds and fish. They generally seem to be self-sufficient after quite a short time, perhaps weeks, sometimes months, or just a few years. But that's not so with us. As many grandparents will know, it's quite different watching grandchildren grow up. Quite different to when we have our own children. Deesa and I had the joy of looking after Esme and Isaac generally once a week. Esme's four, coming on about seven, uh, and Isaac's at the age of two and a half. Just can't wait to follow in his big sister's footsteps. As he says proudly, me big boy, me preschool boy. So It's great to see him grow, isn't it? But the reality is they still need lots of support when they're young. And whilst I know that many children be quite self-sufficient when they're in their teens, sometimes older, it's not until they're 18 that we really recognise their independence. Although some parents, it can take a lot longer to really let go. But so it is with the young Christian, or when we're exploring. There's a time of growing and developing. It's what happens when we're born naturally, and it should be what happens when we're born supernaturally. We learn differently when we're older. But the principles of having someone or some people to help us grow, they're the same principles. We guide and nurture children with the experience that we have. And we should be guiding and nurturing those that come to faith in the same way. But with an openness for God to do a new thing. Maybe different things. Maybe greater things through them. When I... uh, Started preparing some notes for this morning. I was using the prayer guide and uh, readings about Elijah that Ian Moore put together for us. And I was reading about Elijah and how he went and found Elisha to mentor as his successor. So led by God, it says in 1 Kings 19 that Elisha was busy ploughing his fields when Elijah came up and put his cloak round him. Apparently, he then uh, walked off because it says Elisha stopped what he was doing, tied up his oxen, which would have taken a little bit of time, uh, and then he ran after Elijah. Elisha was given leave to go say goodbye to his family before he followed and was mentored by Elijah. It's interesting that Elijah says to him, what have I done to you? He was compelled by God to call him, but he knew the commitment was going to be asked of Elisha. So Elisha goes back and basically has a big barbecue with his family and friends, cooking his own oxen and using his ploughing equipment uh, to fuel the fire. That story reminds me of a couple of things. Reminds me of Ian's challenge a couple of weeks ago. Are you a chicken or a pig? 
If you remember, he said that when we have eggs and bacon, the chicken makes a contribution, but the pig gives everything. And he challenges us to consider our wholehearted commitment. But this story of Elisha also reminds me of when Jesus said to one who asked to go back and say goodbye to his family before following him, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus knows the heart. We know that he's looking for full commitment and we can only assume that on this occasion he knew the young man was only half-hearted. Perhaps we need to reflect on that. Do we just want to do something before we make a commitment? Have we just been wanting to do that thing for quite a long time now? So is now the right time to put that down? Stop making excuses? Is it time to make a decision? Because there's a family here that God has called together to support, care and nurture and to be here for each of us. So Elijah put his cloak on Elisha. The cloak in those days was a very important item of clothing. It gave warmth. It would cover when sleeping. It could be used as a cushion and was also used often to carry things. It was important and it was symbolic, often used as a symbol when transferring or bestowing power. And even today, we still have that phrase, to take on or pass on the mantle. Elijah placed his cloak on Elisha. And Elisha knew what it meant. He knew that God was calling him. Actually, we don't know anything about Elijah or Elisha before God called them. And so with us. We don't have to have a special background for God to use us. We don't have to be of a certain age. And if if God wants us to just pluck us out from obscurity like Elijah, fine. But more often, he will call us, wait for our response, and put us together with others to grow as he did with Elisha. Look around you. Maybe not physically, but in your mind. Because I know no one's going to turn around, but, but look around you. We're part of the family. We often talk about the family of God, but this is it. One of the things that strikes me when I look around, and I can do that easy because I'm standing at the front, I see people of different ages, different backgrounds, and at different places in their walk with God. And I wonder, what would God do with each one? Is there a new Billy Graham in here? Is there an evangelist or a missionary, a prophet or a preacher? How's God going to use each one at work, at home, in our families or in our communities? Just remember, May simply invited Joyce. Going back to thinking about children for a moment, if you can bring up the next slide, Martin, a, a baby starts in a crib and drinks milk. Then they move on to a cot, and they begin solids. Then to a small bed, and they begin to eat the same food as us. Although it's not always that easy, if you move on, Martin. (coughs) If it moves on, it doesn't. (laughs) 
But it's not always that easy, is it? They're not always as cooperative. But then they start cooking for themselves and for others. Maybe they start off around about you know, 60, 65 centimetres long, a couple of foot long, or tall, depending which way you, you hold them. They're about the size of three or four bags of sugar, aren't they? And then suddenly, they're towering over us. They're cooking for us. They're no longer the same shape. They don't think the same. They don't rely on us in the same way. And generally, we rejoice as we see them grow in their independence. What of the Christian as they first come to believe? Do we simply make room for them on the pew or the seat next to us, but little else? Or do we take the time to help, nurture, guide, teach, so that they can grow into spiritual giants rather than remain spiritual babies? It's a part of our being family. We wouldn't want our natural children to be stunted in their development and neither should we expect members of a Christian family to be. We're called to support one another, to walk with one another. But who are we walking with and what will they become? How might God use you in their walk as a sister or a mum, a brother or a dad? I don't know if you can bring up the Hebrews reading. That was uh, Jamie as he starts cooking for us. Uh, but the next reading on there, Martin, in Hebrews 5, it gives a warning. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let's not be found wanting or stunted in our growth, and let's make sure that we're ready to be a good family, walking with others on their journey. And we'll find that as we walk with others, we're growing our own faith too. wanted to finish this point about being members of God's family with a short video. I saw it some time ago, Uh, on TV. It's an advert actually for the Royal Navy. And recently I was reminded of it as they've been showing a shorter version. It's Ben's story, that's what they call it. It's not not associated with any Ben's that we know here, as far as I know. Uh, It's just a minute long. But listen carefully, as I'll be referring to it in a moment. Said my first word at one. Kicked off the stabilizers at four. United mad by seven. Bored at eleven. First black iron girlfriend at 14. I left school at 16. Broke my arm, broke the bank. 18, I worked nights in the castle. But then I stopped pulling pints and started pushing myself. I up my game, made a leap. I learned to think on my feet and off them. I put my life in the hands of others and held their lives in mine. I left home, I wrote home, I found a new home. I did things I never dreamed I would and overcame things I never thought I could. The elements, the distance, the fears, doubts, and all seven continents. Sure, I was born in Carlisle, but I was made in the Royal Navy. Start your journey, search made in the Royal Navy. Yeah, born in Carlisle, but made in the Royal Navy. I don't know where you were born. I was born in East London. 
These are in Malaysia, Paul in Germany, and Ruth in Basildon. <laughs> Keeps reminding me of that. <laughs> when we sign up for the, the, uh, the kingdom of God, we become part of God's people on earth. And we've got that promise of being a part of God's eternal kingdom. Ben in the video was just an ordinary guy. He messed up a bit. He wasted time. But then he joined up and he committed himself to serve, to train, to be a part of the team. It's what we need to commit ourselves to serve. We need to be disciplined. We need also to be discipled. We need to listen to our God through the Holy Spirit. We need to be a part of the family of God. One thing that Ben said in that video was that others relied on him and that he relied on others. He said that his life was held by others and that he held the lives of others in his hands. I thought how true that should be of us. It's actually that we do hold the lives of others in our hands in a sense. On the website it says, they all started somewhere joined, harnessed and released their potential, realised their potential. Now they make a difference every day. Live a life without limits every day. Pray that God will provide those opportunities to be a family, but also to be ready to take up those opportunities when they come, to make a difference every day and to realise the potential that God's put in each of us. Perhaps we can't be as active as once we were, but we can pray for one another, support one another, encourage one another in our walk with God. Perhaps we can be more hospitable or visit someone that would appreciate a visit, listen to each other more. Or perhaps when we look in Timothy, we might be a Lois or a Eunice to those that are younger than us. If you flick over there, Martin... They clearly had a great influence on Timothy as he was growing up. My final point, which is short, is that God is building us into his temple. In our passage in Ephesians, it says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul has said that we're called into his kingdom, that we're members of God's family. And now he says we're being built into God's temple. Each expression that he uses expresses belonging, relationship, growth, development. And we know that whilst we've got a great building here, Church can exist without a building, and there are many churches that do. Although buildings can also be a great asset if we use them well. But across the world, there are those that meet in mega churches. Equally, there are those that meet in people's basements. There are those that meet in schools, as South Green do, or cinemas or sports facilities. But what matters is that we meet as a body of believers, that we seek God and we serve God. We come here to worship to be strengthened, to be joined together as a church, but we're unhealthy and ineffective if we become inward-looking, if we come simply looking for a blessing rather than to be a blessing 
in here and when we're outside and throughout the week. Fellowship, worship, teaching and ministry, they're all performed by people, not buildings. If a church is to grow, if a strong church is to be built, it will be built by God and not by man. And God's chosen to work with his people. He's chosen to build with living stones, not dead weights. We're not to be huge boulders that need to be shouldered out the way in order for God to get something done. We're living stones that God can and will use to build his church into the shape he wants. The cornerstone is the foundation from which all measurements are taken. Every other stone is laid in relation to the cornerstone. Now, I know I've used this illustration before, but it's more than two years ago and it was in the evening, so you may not have heard it. But years ago... I spent a couple of days working on a car assembly line as part of my ongoing, lifelong training. I was given very clear instructions on how to make sure that I fitted the correct part on each car, depending whether it was a diesel or a petrol. And the car came along every 32 seconds. I had to read the code on the computer sheet, hanging on the front of the car, and then pick and fit the appropriate part. I was having trouble keeping up. Then at tea break, one of the regular guys showed me a shortcut. Just glance inside the bonnet, he said, and if it already has a certain part fitted, then it's a diesel. If it was a different one, it's a petrol. It definitely made it a lot easier. And I didn't fall behind anymore. At the end of the day, we had a debrief, and I explained what happened and how I managed to speed things up. The trainer smiled. He'd heard it all before. He simply asked, What would have happened if the previous guy had fitted the wrong part? I would have compounded the error. As God builds his church, he measures each stone against the cornerstone. It's measured against the datum, against the master, not in relation to each other. When we measure against each other, we're going to be likely to make mistakes. But how does that stack up with what I previously said, that we should be helping, teaching, nurturing and supporting each other as family. Well, it puts the responsibility on the mature Christian to make sure that they stay close to God, that we live and teach only what is true to the word of God. And then in time, it becomes a responsibility of the younger believer to measure and weigh everything against the word of God. Just as I should have always gone back to the computer printout telling me what to do on the production line, we always need to measure everything against that cornerstone. We must have Christ and his word at the centre of all that we do. We've got a great heritage of the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and God doesn't throw that away. He may do old things in new ways, but the foundation's going to remain the same. I like this next cartoon. He chose us. He chose to build with us, difficult though we can be. Some of us might prefer lively songs or reflective music, short, punchy sermons or long expositions. Well, we can have our preferences. But as living stones built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
And with Jesus Christ as a cornerstone, we must remember that it's his church and not our church. If we try and shift our beliefs, then we'll come off our foundations. We'll move away from being in line with the cornerstone. In short, we begin to crumble. We have to be founded on the word of God, led by the spirit of God, to be and do all that God calls us to be and do. As I finish, I'll share just a few thoughts about the implications of our citizenship. If you could flick on, Martin. Our being family and growing as a living temple. As I said, they're all expressions of belonging, relationship, growth and development. And they mean that we can't stand still as individuals or as a church. Although we're built on ancient foundations, we're a new building. God's in the business of creation and Paul speaks in Corinthians about us being a new creation. And Isaiah says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, springs forth. Do you not perceive it? The foundations may be old, but the structure's new and will continue to be renewed. And we're a part of what God is doing. He can do as much with us as we want him to. Or put another way, he calls us, but we can get as involved as we want to. Remember Ian's challenge, pig or chicken. And during our week of prayer a couple of weeks ago, one word we received to way as leaders challenged us about how wholehearted we are as a church. And we'll be sharing at our church meeting at the end of the month more of those recent words that we've been given to weigh and discern. So where do we stand individually? As citizens, as family members and living stones in the temple of God. Do you need to take a step of further commitment? Does that mean being baptised, joining a small group, meeting with others to pray? Should you be joining the church as a member to discern together and hear from God together as part of his family? Is there someone that you should be drawing alongside and supporting? Or a leadership role of some kind that God's calling you to? I know it's a long list of questions, but only you can answer them. The focus of the message today is about family and being a member of God's family. We're in a family we sometimes need to support, but that needs someone to give support. We sometimes need to be nurturing or need some nurturing, but that needs someone to draw alongside and nurture. We need those that will lead and those that will serve, although there's a sense in the Christian family that they're one of the same thing. But I'll just finish with one last question. What does it mean to you to be called into the family of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not called us uh, to, to go it alone. You've called us, Lord, to be a part of your family, a part of your church. You've called us to have a relationship with you. you Right from the beginning in creation, you wanted relationship. And Lord, you've put that into us too, to have relationship, that we can support one another, grow together, that we can relate to you, we can know you, but that Lord, also we're a part of your family. And we pray, Lord, that where you challenge us today, you would help us to be fully committed to you.
and fully committed to the family you put together here. Thank you, Lord, for each other. And thank you, Lord, for calling us.